home. Home is where the heart is and now the office and the school and the shops and the concerts too. On this Inside Intercom mini-series, we're exploring what that means for various facets of life and how people are managing to persevere with the help of technology. There's been a lot of great content recently about how to keep your work teams connected and productive while working remotely. But what about when we're not working? Today's episode is our second in this series of four, and we're turning our attention to how people are spending time when they're off the clock, how they're socializing and maintaining and building community. There are a lot of different dynamics at play, from bored kids to equally bored singles. And then of course there's colleagues, flatmates, friends, and older relatives to factor in. To shed some light on these varied sides of socializing at home, we spoke to Gilberto, co-founder and CEO of Livestorm, the video platform that has witnessed huge growth over the last while. Andrea DeVille, a kindergarten teacher based in the San Francisco Bay Area, who's doing her best to keep the kids in her care happy, engaged and socially connected. Alison Spittle, comedian, writer and originator of the hashtag CoVideo parties on Twitter. We also chat to Nina Tricky, matchmaker for the Guardian Blind Date column in the UK, and Brian Daly, CEO and co-founder of GrandPal.co, an app that aims to keep families connected with their elder relatives. There's a lot to cover, so let's dive in and hear from our guests. One intriguing aspect of the recent lockdown of populations across the world is how it's accelerated numerous SaaS companies into the mainstream consciousness in a way that could never have been predicted before. One such company is, of course, Zoom, who've quickly gained brand recognition that extends across generations with grandparents and grandkids regularly using it to connect. Similarly, Livestorm are finding their user base has grown vastly and in many unexpected ways. Here's their CEO, Gilberto. So Livestorm is basically a video communication platform. So what it means is that right from your browser, you can basically host either a live streaming with thousands of participants, or you can just have a meeting uh, one-to-one with someone. So the idea is to have something super simple that has all those video features that your company needs into one single place right from your browser. So no download at any moment. And the cherry on top is that we add all the marketing tools that you need to host any kind of virtual events. So you have uh, registration pages, uh, email sequences, retargeting, whatever you may need to in terms of logistic. We have it. It's all in one. So... I think the platform approach is definitely what makes us different. And before all this happened, you guys were a fully B2B company. Am I right in saying yes, that? Yes, uh, it is. We've been doing B2B for three years and a half now. The company is like, you know, it's pretty young and it has been always our focus. And obviously with the, you know, the COVID situation and everything, things have kind of shifted. It's not that we're mm. not doing B2B anymore. It's just that we see a lot of people you know, getting creative with live streaming. Yeah, because that's one thing that really fascinates me about what's going on. You know, obviously working within SaaS and doing the podcast, you come across all these SaaS tools mm-hmm. that people are using within the industry every day in their in their workday life. Mm-hmm. And then once all this started to happen and people were stuck at home, what you're seeing actually is families or groups of friends who might have one person in that community as part of their group suddenly adopting these tools for 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 means to socialize. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. That's something that we see uh, as well. Uh, we actually, we use it even internally when you have like, I mean, every other day I have, I don't know, uh, what we call a uh, an apéro in French, which is basically like gathering with friends and then mm-hmm. you just drink and socialize and, you know, play games and whatever. And we use our, our own platform, right? And we see people doing the same thing. So it's funny that, you know, the things that they use on their daily work, they kind of push it towards the i think inner circle the family and the community so it's funny uh, it's funny to see that happening right and um i think the inverse system actually exists as well and it's it's quite different but for example when you look at the b2c space you see instagram live you see twitch mm-hmm. you see youtube live and those all those all those platforms that works pretty well and i think that impulse a a way of doing live streaming for example and that people expect to have kind of the same thing, the same user experience, the same uh, easiness of use, right? Sure. And people tend to get more and more, I mean, have like serious expectations about UX and about how easy it should be to do a live streaming. And then, and you see all those people actually jumping into live stream, for example, and then expecting the same thing. And and that's a good thing for us because that's actually one of the things that we're trying to push as well. Um, you know, like design is basically a feature for us and uh, we spend a lot of time you know about on design so right now i think we, we we see both people getting more and more have more and more expectations and we see also the other way around when people you know use the their um uh, b2b tool into the b2c space so it's a uh, it's exciting times you know yeah so you're actually adapting your product then by what you're learning from how people are using yeah. the tool at the moment that's fascinating. And what other ways have you guys at Livestorm have had to adapt to what's going on? Because I read uh, an article in Forbes that you had seen phenomenal AOROR growth and congratulations for that. But presumably that has a knock-on effect on your day-to-day business world. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been like probably like the roughest 25 days I ever lived, essentially. <laughs> so uh, customer base as, you know, uh, we we recorded a growth of like 2.5x something in less you know in the entire customer base in less than a month. So obviously that's great you know business wise in terms of revenue and everything. So it's uh, it's it's pretty insane. But obviously it has it has a lot of impact on uh, the infrastructures that you need to scale. Like I mean right now we actually have the infrastructure we we're supposed to have a year from now. So we had to do that in less than three days or something, which is absolutely insane. It has also a huge impact on how we deal with customer support and the time to respond. Make sure that everybody's getting like a really good experience, you know, as if nothing has happened. And that's the toughest thing right now. And you can see we have, for example, banks and, you know, really old school companies that were not doing remote at all. And now they're doing it. And not only they're enjoying it, but they're also like creating new use cases, new ways to do live streaming internally. And that's it. That's super awesome to see, right? And another thing that we see a lot is businesses that were not supposed to do live streaming because inherently it was not part of their DNA, part of their nature. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they're doing live streaming because it helps them transform their businesses, transform how they do things, and they see value in it. It's certainly a busy time to be a company that offers a social tool, especially with video functions. But how effective are they beyond their original B2B use case when they were never designed with families and friends in mind? And how can they come close to approximating genuine human connection? Here's Gilles to explain. 
the way we we do it as well within Livestorm is we we used to have those you know social events when we 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 had those nights where we play board games or have a drink together or something like just to socialize to have a culture of going and getting out and eating together and you know being together just and the way we reproduced that is to you know creating a coffee break room that people could join anytime and just oh, hang that's out lovely yeah and i think it's thanks to the product too is we have that flexibility of mimicking what is happening within an actual physical space physical office and mm-hmm. everybody has their own office, their own room that people can go and have a talk with that person. We can have those coffee break rooms. I think one of the things that people, you know, just underestimate is being far away. I mean, work is also a way to socialize at some point, you know, sure. just like school, just like family. It's just a way to talk to people. And we can see that now it's on lockdown. And, you know, a lot of people actually miss to actually have physical interaction with people. So the more you can be close to that, the more you can actually mimic that. It not, it wouldn't, obviously not going to be the same, but the closer you can get, the better. It, it will make things much easier. It's okay just to, you know, take a break from work, like take like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, half an hour, just to talk to people and do something else. You know, even if, even if it's a coworker, just taking a break and talk to people, that helps a lot getting through this, you know, lockdown thing. Absolutely. And I think what's lovely about what you're describing there is it, it it reinstates something that I think is so lacking in a lot of the ways that people are finding to interact, which is the spontaneity of it. Yes. You know, th- that y- what we're not used to, I think, is having to plan ahead days or even hours in advance Yeah. Uh, for just a simple five minute chat with someone, whereby having those rooms that you're describing it reinstates that spontaneity, which is a lovely thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny that you say that because when we, we built this, uh, it's called Lifestyle Meet. And when the, the first version was this spontaneous meeting that we were talking about, you know, the room, mm-hmm. right? And then at some point we're saying, okay, but what if we have something planned in our agenda? But it's a totally different use case. And the way people interact remotely is mostly through, you know, I mean, in the old days, it was mostly through, meetings in your agenda it was planned it has an agenda it has a a point to be there in our agenda but it had a purpose and i think the beauty of having instant meetings is that you know it doesn't have any agenda it's just a way to jump in and talk right and sometimes i think when you when you're in the office i mean everybody can you know live it right when you're in the office you're at your desk and out of a sudden you just talk to your coworkers because you have no like this idea or whatever and just want to and not only it's good for work because you can create, this is how good ideas, you know, actually are born, but, or maybe you just want to have a talk because you enjoy being with that person. And I think that's what I really, I'm an advocate of having this instant meeting rooms and I want them to be a really strong part of, of the lifestyle offering because it, it brings that spontaneity that you just talked about. Spontaneous interactions are something that a lot of folks are craving at the moment, But it's not just our generation feeling the distance. School kids are used to being surrounded by the fun and noise of a busy classroom. And the break times and play times in school are so important to child development. So when that's taken away, how do you make sure that children are getting the engagement and interaction that they need beyond the curriculum? Andrea DeVille has been thinking about this a lot. My name is Andrea DeVille, and I am a kindergarten teacher in the San Francisco Bay Area. 
I have a master's degree in early childhood education. At my present school, I've been teaching for 23 years, and I'm also celebrating my 40th year as an educator overall. And um, prior to COVID-19, I have the good fortune and privilege, really, of teaching in a very spacious, light-filled classroom that um, I was able to arrange into learning zones. So the children have a book corner. They have an area for learning materials and games. There's a creativity center that's filled with arts and craft supplies. There's a dramatic play playhouse area. There's also a maker space that's filled with different kinds of building blocks and magnetiles and Legos and such. And I also have open floor space in the classroom where the children are able to move about freely um, as they're building and playing and um, exploring and learning. That sounds like a wonderland of a playground. Absolutely gorgeous. But like, I'm curious, especially for kids that age, like fun and socializing are such a big part of education. How are you facilitating the social activities for kids now that, you know, people can't see each other in person? Well, as you might guess, routines and traditions are very much an important part of a classroom community and um, a very important part of being a part of the greater school community. So, um, for example, just days after we had launched into our distance learning, I received an email from a parent whose child was getting ready to celebrate her birthday. And this child was quite worried about how we would celebrate her birthday virtually. And I reassured the parent that I was working on it. (laughs) And um, fortunately, I have access to my classroom. And so I was able to go to school and grab what I call the birthday bin that contains all the materials that I use for the celebration. Mm -hmm. And so I just basically attached all of those artifacts to a piece of cloth that I hung on my kitchen wall that's in plain view of the camera. And of course, we sang all the usual songs that we sing and asked the child the usual questions and, you know, kind of interview the child a little bit. And the celebration is short, but very memorable. And the entire time the child had a smile on her face. And my goal was to be sure that she was honored and that she felt joyful and that she felt that she wasn't losing much <laughs> um, in this virtual celebration that she would have experienced in the classroom. And she had her family sitting close by with her in view of the camera. And the parents were very, very grateful at the organization that was involved in preparing for the celebration. We also have another program that the children love, and it's our VIP program, Very Important Person. And each child um, has a turn to be interviewed by the class with some questions. And then we create a poster with all of the information. And then the parents are asked to provide a few pictures of the child in their various growing up stages that we attach to the poster. And then the child shares the poster with the class. 
And um, so when I announced that I was resuming the VIP project, I got cheers from the students who were still waiting to have their turn. And um, I have spotlighted two students so far, and it has gone very well. And again, it's just to help the children feel connected. And in kindergarten, everything has to be fair. <laughs> so, you know, for the most part, people are waiting for their turn, for their turn to be recognized or honored. And so the, the VIP program has also contributed to that community feel. We also have a buddy program in our school where the kindergarten students are partnered with some of the older students in the school. And um, just last Thursday, we were able to utilize the breakout rooms in Zoom to connect the students with their buddy. And they could share a story or just chat about what they've been doing or just really to reconnect. And they spent about 20 minutes together. And it was really a lovely time. I was able to pop into each room and just say hello to the older students who have been my students in the past. And I'm looking forward for us to have that opportunity again. And one other tradition is in May, the kindergarten students usually showcase their music ability led by their music teacher uh, through a performance. And obviously, we are not having any gatherings, but I suggested to my head of school and to the music teacher that perhaps we turn the performance into a family sing-along, um, led by the music teacher, where the children sing songs that they know really well and that perhaps their parents might know because they've heard the child singing the songs at home. And we will, of course, send the lyrics to the parents ahead of time. Um, so that they feel a part of the celebration. And again, especially since these families are experiencing very possibly their first year in our school, we want to make sure that they have that feeling of connectivity um, so that as their child reminisces and as they reminisce about their time in kindergarten, it still feels very positive. That's really lovely. And just one thing there, I was going to ask you, like, what have been the biggest challenges in keeping the kids connected? Because, I mean, I love what you're doing with the breakout rooms in Zoom, because it strikes me that one of the most difficult aspects is that, you know, if you're in a big group Zoom, it's not like you can just, you know, chat quietly to one person to the side. So maybe the, the quieter kids, it's more difficult for them to get involved. So doing that buddy program and those breakout rooms is a lovely way to mitigate against that, I'd say. Yes. And actually, I have to say, many of us teachers are applauding the mute feature in Zoom. Yes, it does allow us the opportunity to mute everyone. And um, I teach with a partner teacher. And so one of her responsibilities is to keep track of students that we have called on to participate in the discussion so that we make sure that everybody's voice is being heard during a lesson. And yes, one of the greatest challenges is making sure that students are engaged and they feel connected with the lesson that's going on. And obviously we've had to establish some new classroom expectations that we mm -hmm. discussed with the children and we posted them on our learning management system website. And, you know, they're five, so they're very egocentric and 
they sometimes forget that we can see them. <laughs> they might be trying to tiptoe quietly away, or it's like, oh, oh, hold on. Funny. we're still we're still having this lesson. <laughs> Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Kids aren't the only ones having to relearn what's expected of them socially, though. We were curious about the area of dating, surely one of the most fraught social scenarios in adult life. The Blind Date column has been running in the UK's Guardian newspaper for over a decade and both numerous weddings and babies in its rich history. With a straightforward format, two people, two separate photo shoots, one restaurant date, the couple then fill in a standard questionnaire knowing that their answers will be read by a national audience over their Saturday morning coffee. With an avid fan base waiting for their fix and a dating landscape that's changed completely. We spoke to their matchmaker, Nina Tricky, about just how tricky things had gotten. We had to stop the shoots quite early on because um, we had to stop people coming into the Guardian building. So this was before lockdown. We weren't allowed to have any external visitors into the building. So that kind of went on hold quite soon. But just as lockdown was announced, we were discussing the prospect of video dates and doing takeaways. Mm. So we kind of had a conversation about it and it was a bit like, oh, really? Will we need to do that? But, you know, that was that was kind of really early on and no one really had a clue what was <laughs> what was sure. coming. So it was really about executing it really and just getting people involved because obviously it's a different, a completely different way of dating. Mm. And um, that was the main concern. Would people want to do it this way and how we would get people you know, apply? So we did a Twitter shout out, which is our default resource, really, when it comes to. <laughs> so during a drought, for example, we haven't got any single men out there. We, we sometimes do a tweet <laughs> and that sometimes gets a few people in. So we got quite a lot of response from that. And we I just go from there, really, people emailing me. Um, and then, yeah, I, I asked them some basic questions about themselves, their hobbies, their interests. Um, and, and we kind of go from there. So we've adapted the column 
accordingly. We we obviously can't have any physical contact. Yeah, I guess we just stopped the shoots early and we even got a reader right into us to say, because we, we have, um, like I said earlier, we have like a backlog of our dates that have gone out a couple of weeks before. And um, I think yeah. our readers might have, well, one of our readers thought that we were still sending people to restaurants, which we were not. <laughs> and we had to put like a little <laughs> disclaimer in there saying this date went out early March. So it was a bit tricky to kind of navigate that. We, you know, we were kind of yeah. their way through this um, in the beginning. Clearly, readers were paying attention to how the team would pivot the column to suit a very different romantic landscape. So they adapted the questions to suit our new circumstances, factored in flatmates and started setting up video calls and takeout for our hopeful daters. I think now momentum is here. Um, we've, we've, we've obviously published three now this way. Mm. So um, we've got a bit of momentum. The, the inbox is flooding again. So that's great. Um, so it's now a case of just like wading through and, you know, getting back to people. The biggest challenge was getting Just Eat vouchers, to be honest with you. No <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that. But yeah, not all of the Just Eat deliveries or restaurants, whatever you call them, don't deliver alcohol. So that was the main concern from a couple of participants. Um, oh, that's fair enough. Need a bit of Dutch courage to um, yeah. warm themselves up for a date. So I don't know. That was the that was the biggest challenge. I think the rest of it's been quite easy and like getting them linked up. Like they're we're using like a video link that is anonymous, so they don't have to exchange details or anything. What are you hearing from your audience about the changes that you've had to make? Like for your Uber fan, Guyliner, for example, what's he saying about it? Um, he said there's um, no no substitution for human contact. And he thinks it makes you realise how important physical first impressions mm. are. But it's interesting how the datas are adapting. In a way, they're like much more open-minded, it seems, and like more forgiving of social awkwardness. <laughs> Yeah, because eating on a Zoom call, for example, is a bit rough because you can see yourself. (laughs) Exactly. But I think they're like, oh, well, whatever. He also said it was a shame to miss out on the kiss potential. So that's true. I mean, that's all any of us want to read about, really. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like that's the the penultimate question, isn't it? I do love the question about did you introduce them to your housemates? Because that's such a a relevant thing about being on a video call at the moment is someone that you live with strolling by. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think like um, one of the one of the daters wanted um, their flatmate to hook up with someone on video or something. And it seems quite relaxed because everyone's in their yeah. home, isn't it? It's like it's a totally different kind of vibe. Well, that's a funny thing about it, actually, that I meant to ask you because when somebody's going to meet a stranger in a restaurant and they're very much putting their best foot forward, but you're, their home life, you can only really parse whatever they're willing to tell you. If you're actually getting a window right into somebody's bedroom or living room on the first date, that's quite telling as well. Yeah, exactly. I suppose if you're, sit, you're sat on your bed, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit yeah. positive, isn't it? just a touch or they have some really really awful books on the on the bookcase behind them yeah no it's like that hide all the props hide all the debris another person who's been adapting props she had at home is comedian Alison Spittle who's been dressing up nightly for her hugely popular co-video parties over on Twitter 
Alison's a big name in the Irish and UK comedy circuits, appearing regularly on television and performing sold-out shows across both regions. When lockdown started, it meant her touring opportunities dried up. Stuck at home, she looked for a way to have a bit of fun with friends and fans on Twitter. Yeah, so I was a stand-up comedian and I was supposed to go on tour in Ireland in March and that was kind of the month where I was going to make my money uh, for the year and that's not happening anymore. So I've had to kind of switch around, I suppose. So on the first Friday where we kind of, where sensible people were going on lockdown. So the Irish government had told people there was going to be no gatherings of over 100 people. So I couldn't do a tour anymore. And that was on a Thursday. And then on the Friday, I said on Twitter to my to my friends and just to anyone really, if anyone wants to watch a film at nine o'clock tonight, we'll all watch it at the same time on Netflix. Uh, pick the film and I made up a hashtag called Co-Video Party so everyone could kind of talk and kind of go with it at the same time so it, it got really really popular and then it's kind of it's kind of like leveled out like the pandemic itself and <laughs> but I managed to get sponsorship to help me pay my rent this this month so it's been good and people have been very kind someone asked me whether I had like a Patreon or a coffee account and I mm-hmm. didn't at the time and I decided and um, it's very strange because, especially with internet stuff, you start to think about your relationship with money and your relationship with earning money. And because I enjoy my job as a stand-up comedian and in stand-up comedy, you don't earn money for years. It really is a loss-making job for a good five to six years and, and kind of maybe a money coming into the way that I can make a living is maybe the past few years. But it's been very weird because I have guilt over being able to make a living at a job that I love. And I know a lot of people don't. So I have a weird relationship with money anyway, where I feel that I don't deserve the money I get from stuff that I like doing. So when people started paying me, say thank you for doing the, the co video party. It's It's been a similar thing, but it's been something I can't really debate with myself that much about because I don't, I didn't save money. I've been, I just didn't. I just kind of lived month by month. So I just had to like just accept it and go, right, this is cool. And I'm going to put a big effort into it. And I I do stuff like I get dressed up like the people from the films. And also. Your Shrek was was a beautiful (laughs) sight to behold. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. That was like a great green pair of trousers and a lot of eyeshadow. But, but, <laughs> but just on the on on the money front, Alison, do you think though? Because like it's so clear. Like I've taken part in the co video parties. They're so much fun. I love them, and I've yeah. been lonely and at home and miserable, and wanted to feel like there were people around me, mm. and gone on Twitter and gone on Netflix and watched the same film at the same time as largely a group of strangers. Yeah. And it's been a really really lovely thing that you are doing for people does that help at all that that sense that actually you know maybe in a way that you can't see when you're performing in front of a big audience in a big venue where you can't see the happiness that you give people that they do genuinely take home because I've been to some of your gigs as well but like do you can you not see on Twitter what you're actually doing for people that it is actually something that's much needed and and maybe your relationship with the the money that you're getting can be a bit better as a result of that I think maybe because I originally it's I think I'd be able to accept it a bit more or or um not debate myself that much more if I Hmm. if I said to myself 
like, oh, this is how I'm going to make money. Because yeah, yeah. there's other ways that I'm like, oh, maybe I could like do quizzes or write scripts or stuff. And then I'm like, yeah, I'll make money that way. And with Covidio Party, it wasn't, I think it was literally someone said at the end of, we watched Clueless for the first night and someone said, are we doing mm. this tomorrow? And I was like, yeah. And then it kept going. And then like, I felt like it was a nice community of people. And the other thing is, is like, I get anxiety about going on house party and all these different apps, which are great. But when I go on house party, I just assess every relationship I have with the people sure. on house party. I'm like, oh, do I know them well enough to go into that room where, where they're with friends, do you know? And um, also, and I'm guilty of this myself, like going on Zoom calls and then putting up, screenshots and when I say guilty you shouldn't feel guilty about it but you know when you're just like oh (laughs) I caught up with friends this week and I'm like oh I didn't or I don't know you know I'm like how many people do I know well enough to go to organize a zoom call with where it's not an event and I thought the cold video part you think would be cool because you don't have to assess your relationship with anyone and and the other things are cool as well this is just my own weird mental illness where like you know you're just chatting about a film it's just the equivalent it's that kind of social interaction of talking to someone in a queue or something like that. Mm. That's what I feel. You're just chatting about films and it's not about politics and it's not about anything that you can, I mean, you can disagree about Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you're not going to unfollow someone over. What's great about this is that it's not just another virtual quiz because as fun as they are, they aren't for everyone. Even more amazingly is that what started out as a means to finding a nice way for people to connect and just enjoy another film with people if they're lonely is now actually paying Alison's rent. Thanks to the popularity of her initiative, she started getting paying offers, which, for now at least, should help her ride out the financial burden that a lockdown places on performers. The flips are like a chocolate-covered pretzel company. and They approached me uh, maybe two weeks into COVID video party and asked about sponsoring. And It's not that normally I wouldn't go for sponsored content, mm. but I'm not. I feel there are more people that have bigger followers than me. And also, like, I'm not great with, this sounds so rough, I'm not great with being told what to do. But what I loved about Flips was, I was like, is it okay if I say that you've explicitly that you've given me money? And they were like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So, I was, so my first tweet was like, I love chocolate covered pretzels and I love money and Flips. <laughs> have combined both of those things. So they, they paid to sponsor the Fridays of COVID video party and people can, they, I think the good thing about it, it is that people can get free flips. All they have to do is like send in their address if they live in the Republic of Ireland. So it's no weird competition. It's not like I'm saying, and, and the other great thing is people, and no one asked them to do this, but I think we're all bored. But people are sending me pictures of of their oh, of their flip pack. And it's like a little influencer. You can see the, there's thought being put into the angles and the, the, the box itself. So it's been, it's been really fun. And people have been like really lovely and cool. And the weird thing was, I remember, and it's not because of flips or anything, it's because of my mind. I was like, I don't know because I'm a stand-up comedian and that's my identity and yeah. I like doing stand-up and this is a different thing and mm. I felt I don't know I just thought of people that I thought might judge me but they've been lovely and they everyone understands and it's cool and it's been nice and it's been you know and with the BBC the BBC kind of approached me because they needed to launch 
normal people um, mm. on the on the player, and normally they would have like cool screenings and stuff, and that sure. wouldn't happen. And so I got to do a co video party with BBC Three, and I got to interview the two leads, Paul Mescal and Daisy Edgar Jones, on a live Q and A, and that was scary and good because I was watching Edith Bowman do a live Q and A with him, and I was like, oh, she's so professional and so good. And I was stapling scarves in my wardrobe because my I live in a hovel and, <laughs> my, and I'm trying to make it look nice with scarves. <laughs> like, it's funny how you see, and this is not, Edith, yeah. Edith Bowman's not like this, but I see other people and I love, you know, it's amazing what, what part of the room we show to people. Like, oh yeah, people have these incredibly the- curated backgrounds behind them. Oh, stop, like a bookshelf full of niche and like, all the Twilight books are hidden away and it's it's replaced with an award that you got three years ago or something. <laughs> it's all there. So yeah, it's been it's been cool. It's been nice. It's been a wild ride. <laughs> the curated bookshelf for art collection in the background of meetings and webinars looks set to become a mainstay of popular culture for a while at least. In some ways, it's a welcome sign of how so many people are adjusting to the new normal for now. But not everyone is au fait with the technology needed to stay connected via Livestorm or Twitter or Zoom. We chatted with Brian Daly, CEO of grandpal.co, to find out how families can best support their elder loved ones in their downtime. I'm Brian. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Grandpal. Grandpal is building a product to guide family members through tough times with their older loved ones. Um, so, yeah, we started Grandpal to to combat old age loneliness. Uh, it was an effort to bring together local people who have the spare time to give uh, and older people who just love to have a conversation. And we did that for, for about a, just over a year, uh, about a year and a half. And we've done about 1,500 visits uh, with that model. And it was it was very good. We got lots of great feedback from both sides. And, you know, just before Christmas, we were thinking, you know, how do we expand this? How do we go global with this? And it became very obvious that the family needed to be in the driving seat. Mm. So we had started to work on a product for families, getting into this format of guiding families through tough times. And then, you know, coronavirus became apparent. And on mm. March 5th, uh, we had to we had to call a, a halt to all of the visits that were happening in around. We were in Dublin, Kildare, Wicklow and in around that area. So we had to call a halt. Naturally, the community uh, started to pick up uh, the phone and started to call uh, their pals, which was lovely. And it was great to see. But yeah, it's been a transition period for us where, you know, what we were doing with the visits has had to come to a stop. uh, And we've tried to uh, bring that digitally. But at the same time, it's given us more thinking space to really focus on product. Uh, and help families during this time. Yeah, and it's much needed. I'm curious, and I know people will love the story of it, but how did the inspiration for Grandpal first come to you? Sure. So I was working at Web Summit in Dublin, you know, many moons ago now. I think I was employee number 11 or so. And at that time, uh, I was living with my granny. So I was living with my granny Tess in James's Street. And so pretty central in town. And, you know, I guess I was that point of contact for my family checking in, you know, can you grab this in the shop? Has this been done? Has that been done? Who was up today kind of thing? And, you know, generally I was the kind of last conversation that my granny would have each each day. And it wasn't really something that I fully understood the importance of uh, at the mm. time. Uh, but then when I was moving away, I moved to London to work with Techstars and followed 
by moving to to Berlin with Techstars. But it was only at that point where I kind of realized how important you know that interaction was and having that point of contact was uh, for my granny and for the rest of my family. So unfortunately, my granny passed away. And a couple of months later, I was in Madrid visiting a friend. And I was in his apartment. He had gone to work. And I heard this giant knock on the door. And it almost gave me a bit of a fright, but I came out and I seen, you know, this old Spanish lady shouting at me in Spanish. And I was like, oh, lo siento, lo siento, uh, no hablo española. Uh, she was just pointing and shouting, pointing and shouting. Finally realized she wanted some help getting in some laundry off, uh, off a washing line. So yeah. I helped her out and it just hit me. It's just like, why is there not more support systems for older people? You know, so you know, that's where the idea kind of came to light spun up a landing page and started talking to people about it and it became apparent that this was a, a big uh, a big problem to tackle. And, you know, it's brilliant because I think oftentimes with new technologies, there is a risk that elder generations get left behind. But what Grandpa actually does is go completely against that trend and uses technology to support them within the community that they have around them. So it's a brilliant idea. Tell me, how have you had to adapt your business and your product to what's going on. You've alluded to a little bit of it there in terms of stopping the visits, but how has that actually impacted the product itself? So, yeah, while we stopped the visits, um, it kind of forced us to think digitally. Um, and digitally is something that we can do with anyone from you know one part of one country all the way to the other side of another country and connect people for conversations. So that's happening right now in the form of the Grandpa Virtual Coffee Shop. The idea being that, hey, grab a cup of tea, grab a coffee, grab a biscuit or two and jump on a call with someone. So we've been using Zoom as a as a platform uh, to bring people together on a video call. And now what we've noticed is a lot of our original grandpa demographics so the people who would go and visit an older person, they're loving it and they're connected with people. Mm-hmm. But where we're having some pain points is with you know people who are over maybe 70, 75 are just really not into the idea of downloading an app for Zoom or understanding how to get through. So we really need to make phone calls happen, just a traditional phone call. But the Grandpa product right now is aligned around families to to look after three of the most important topics for an older loved one. So Mm -hmm. that's food, that's medication, and that's social interactions. Uh, Social isolation and social distancing doesn't have to mean social isolation. Um, Mm -hmm. It's actually, you know, one of the things that families can do most and neighbors can do most is, you know, call an older person in your life, uh, send them a postcard, send them a, a letter. Uh, if you've got kids at home, uh, paint a picture and put it in the door box. Like these little interactions to, to encourage, you know, older people to, to stay connected with their local communities are wonderful. And that's one of the things that the Grandpa app is guiding families through is, is, is giving them tips and tricks and guides on how to interact with an older loved one in a safe way. And it also kind of logs those interactions as well, doesn't it? So that, you know, you can kind of see if an elder person who's part of your community hasn't had a phone call in a couple of days and that might prompt you to do it. Or you can see when was the last time somebody dropped over with food for them. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of helps families keep track of all the important things that are happening and more importantly, that are not happening uh, and and kind of prompts them on uh, different aspects of care uh, that they can be delivering. Yeah. And I think there's often an interesting tension within families where 
there's a tendency that people will feel that they're doing the the biggest amount of the workload. Whereas something like this is actually a great way for people in a in a non-argumentative or defensive way to actually have a clear picture of what's going on in that person's life. Absolutely. Uh, it, it acts as a kind of like a, a mediator as such uh, between yeah. between families and, and can really show that, you know, uh, one of the siblings is doing a lot more than the other. And, you know, you, you have to understand as well with a lot of families there's there's different dynamics so you've got the uh, you know the scrum master as we call them the person who's you know the busy body and will organize everything naturally and then you might have family members who live outside the range of regular visits uh, and can't be there in person all the time to help out to the same extent now saying that there's still lots of things that someone who lives abroad for example can contribute with you know and and play that role of a carer from a distance so with the Grandpa Lap, we try to uh, help families encourage other members of their family to also take part uh, and, and to play their role. That's brilliant. What's been the biggest challenge for you guys and for your customers in coping with everything that's happened over the last couple of months? Yeah, so I guess everybody's in the same boat uh, with, with COVID-19. No one fully understands, uh, you know, when it's going to be over. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions we're getting from our users and, and customers around uh, you know, what's the safest way uh, to interact? And um, so we've been trying to uh, create as many guides as possible for uh, our users to, to help looking at the website, official uh, gov websites, as well as from the WHO and, and local governments, and just giving, you know, best practices and best advice to users. One of the biggest challenges, again, is is around making sure that there's enough food in the fridge, that, you know, medication is being picked up on time has been delivered on time and you know there's enough a level of social interactions happening between family members and an older loved one so the grandpa app kind of helps families align around those three most important things right now around coronavirus and and ensures that everyone's playing a role to better the the well-being of of their loved one i guess covid-19 has has validated more than anything else the fact that you know families need to need more support uh, and need to you know be there as a, as a unit versus individuals. And uh, it's validated, you know, how we've been, you know, we were right to start focusing on a product that can help families react to an inflection point. Mm. So for us, we think about inflection points all the time, such as an older person being diagnosed with dementia or uh, an older person having a, a stroke or, or just even like a really bad fall. These things change the way families need to start thinking about care for an older loved one. And you know, since we started to become a lot more product focused, we wanted to guide families and give them access to information and content and ideas on how they can be a better carer for their mom or dad or granny or granddad. Coronavirus is a massive inflection point for everybody, uh, especially for the older generation. So it's really, yeah, if anything, it's, it's validated the need for something like grandpa, in this case, grandpa, to exist. Uh, and to be there to support families going through a really tough time. Supporting each other through these tough times was unsurprisingly a common theme in my conversations with people for this episode. Andrea, the school teacher we spoke to earlier, reminds us to get creative about how we interact and to keep learning new ways to stay in touch. Well, this entire experience has reminded me of the importance of really embracing and living a growth mindset, um, tapping into my flexibility, tapping into my creativity, 
Um, and remembering that even though this situation is challenging, we will get through it and we will get through it together. And so just to remember um, that what's most important as is keeping the children excited about learning and engaged in those lessons as much as possible and just keeping alive that, that connection with them. And it's ever evolving. Each week I'm trying to add something new, revive a part of our program that I now have the bandwidth for, if you will, because in the beginning I was just trying to launch these new learning um, platforms. <laughs> and so as I've become more comfortable and more familiar with the platforms, I'm able to bring back some of the other activities that the children love to do. We experimented with a virtual field trip last week to the Amazon rainforest. And so that is something that I think I would like to explore a little bit more when we do return to the classroom situation. We use some other short little um, movies to support, especially our science curriculum, but the virtual field trip was something brand new for me. So I am I am grateful for this opportunity to be challenged <laughs> to grow and to continue learning because that's what I want my students to do. It sounds like everyone's learning from the youngest to the oldest members of family units, but businesses are learning too. For Gilles, Livestorm CEO, he's reminded of how the way we interact off the clock can inform how we work too. And marketers actually underestimate usually something is that the inner space, the inner circle, right? Not the B2B space, but maybe the, the thing that you do with your family actually has an impact on the world of mouth. Yeah. I mean, if you take Zoom, Zoom is like had this huge growth in, in the past three or four years. I mean, it's a company that is actually more than 10 years old, right? But in the we've heard about them so much in the last four or five years. And I think part of the reason is because we can use Zoom with pretty much anyone you know you can use yeah. it with your family you can do it. so at some point maybe someone will go back to work you know on a monday and say you know what in the weekend i have used this super tool that i you know with my cousin or whatever and this is called zoom you know let's see whatever so i think it has this uh word of mouth potential that people often underestimate and this is I think part of the reason why they are so, you know, I mean, in the UK, for example, it's something they're really present. You can see ads on every single taxi or in the sure. airport or whatever. And that's a way of creating momentum. They obviously have the go-to-market strength to do it. They have a lot of fundings and everything. But I think the private circle is a way to to get some momentum on a product. And people often underestimate that. Well, let's watch this space. Maybe Livestorm will be the next name on everybody's grandmother's lips going forward. I love that. We hope you enjoyed episode two of Home, a special four-part series on Inside Intercom, exploring how folks are adapting their approaches to health, wellness, socializing, business, and entertainment in our current circumstances. We'll be back next week with episode three, Market. We hope you'll join us. <laughs>